0: The NBA is 70 years old. The NFL is 96. MLB is old as the infield dirt at 114. Then there's the NHL. A hundred years ago, a league with just six teams, all masked in the Northeast, formed a professional ice hockey league. Only two of those teams remain, and only one has operated continuously since the founding of the league. And yet, here they are. The National Hockey League has survived, thrived, expanded, and built itself a following of diehard fans, all for a sport originally defined by its regionality, its eccentricity, its high bar for entry. Ice hockey may be the fastest team sport around, but the NHL spread was slow. It took 100 years of hockey. This is The Narrative. I'm Harry Swardak. Seeing is believing, especially in sports. Being able to watch the intricacies of play, observe the players' expressions, take in the atmosphere of the stadium, it viscerally connects the fans to the game. But getting to see an early NHL game was tough, with small rinks, locally-minded teams, and spotty TV broadcasting for 1981. There was one way to really see the game, though.
1: You obviously can spread the word of a sport, and I believe better with video and photography that you can with a written word.
0: That was Bruce Bennett, director of hockey photography at Getty Images.
1: You were able to really tell the story through images. I think that the photographers really had a lot to do with the growth of the awareness
0: of what a great sport it is. A picture is worth a thousand words, And hockey used every one of them. Fast, deft, powerful, brutal, elegant. But even photographers had a hard time getting shots in ice hockey rinks. Unlike the baseball or football stadiums of the time, rinks had no natural lighting. Photogs also had to stand behind glass or wire fences to stay safe from stray pucks. This led to a dearth of clear, sharp action shots that the NHL so desperately needed.
1: You could go back and look at the early days of photography in the hockey arenas and you'll see uh, very grainy black and white images. Um, And then, starting I guess in the 40s and 50s, uh, as the film um, and the cameras got better, uh, you would start to see some uh, images that were shot uh, without flash. And then uh, as strobes were installed in some of the arenas like Toronto and Montreal, the photographers who had those strobes were able to capture the images of action.
0: Montreal Canadiens photographer Denis Brodeur wanted to capture the action that he experienced as a Canadian Olympic goaltender on film. And he decided to take matters into his own hands. Brodeur climbed the Montreal Forum and hung strobe lights from the top of the building. In his own words, if you dropped a penny from the top of the forum, he could freeze it halfway down. The lighting allowed for Brodeur to take amazing photos.
1: His images, uh, to me, were always uh, well-lit, perfectly exposed images. Um, And most of his images, especially in the early day, were shot on two and a quarter film. Uh, It was capturing the sport um, in a way that no one else had.
0: Roder froze the spray of ice from Gordie Howe's skates as he beats the goaltender. Wayne Gretzky picks himself up after Larry Robinson dumps him in the crease. Canucks goalie Gary Smith grasps at a puck frozen just beyond his glove. Roder used two and a quarter inch film, a larger format than the modern standard 35mm, in order to capture more of the ice. And he needed it. He only had one shot.
1: He made every frame count. When you use strobes to capture images, you have to wait several seconds before you can take a second frame. The old strobes that he used could only shoot every 12 seconds which made it kind of difficult in capturing the action. Uh, Your sense of timing had to be uh, quite extraordinary. Today, when you shoot a game, you might come out with 1,000 or 1,500 images to choose from. He would come out of a game with a few dozen, but each of those images would be stellar, beautiful, well-timed images.
0: Broder's photography helped spread the word on hockey, providing glossy images of the fastest team sport, stopped in time, so that everyone could appreciate its beauty. He also helped spread hockey in other ways.
1: I guess in uh, more recent years he was better known as the father of the famous goaltender Martin Brodeur.
0: Back Castle.
2: Oh, a by Brodeur! Martin Brodeur takes a sure one away
0: his legendary hockey goalie son may be his best known creation, but Brodeur's second best Maybe a black-and-white photograph he took in the 70s. Known as The Goal, the shot captured a rebound garbage goal. But it may be the most important in Canadian history. In a way, it rivaled a miracle. Up
2: to show! Five seconds left in the game! Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable!
0: Everybody knows about the miracle on ice. A team of U.S. amateurs banding together to upset the world powerhouse Soviets in the 1980 Olympics, at the height of the Cold War. But before the USSR was a bully, it was the underdog.
2: People expected, 22 million Canadians expected, an 8-0 series
0: swacking, and of course, that's not how it played out. That's writer Colin Fleming. The 1972 Summit Series was supposed to be a beatdown of the Soviets. Canada had been dominating professional hockey for decades, And for this tournament, they were going to unleash their NHL superstars for the first time in international play. Branded as Team Canada, the 72 squad carried the expectations of a country on their shoulder pads.
2: I think in terms of a place in the world and maybe in the Cold War, Canadians had a feeling of almost weirdly being slighted that they really didn't have the clout the U.S. did. And so much of their national pride was centered on hockey. At the time, they only had one professional sports team, that being the Expos. The Blue Jays didn't even exist yet. And hockey meant a, I guess maybe even a cynic would say, a disproportionate amount for Canadians. And there was a shadow curtain, really, over the Soviet Union in terms of how they were progressing with hockey, how they were becoming so, its uh, almost makes you incredulous that they could come that far.
0: In Montreal, the heart of Canadian hockey, the eight-game series got off to an auspicious start.
2: Big to-do with the ceremonies at the beginning seemingly takes forever. If you watch it. It used to be on YouTube, I don't know if it is now. And the the Canadians strike quickly. Mr. Esposito and he has this big smirking grin on his face, like, Oh, this is a good time. It's like the ice capades meets country bear jamboree. It's almost like a Harlem Globetrotters, like Meadowlark Lemon type of smile, like, Hey, see everybody, isn't this fun? And then they get another goal and then things start to go the other way.
3: Mihailov nearly got loose, gets it over to Petrov, back to Mihailov, right in the clear. Oh, right in! It's four! Petrov getting the rebound.
2: And they get run out of the barn, seven to three. And it's like a national embarrassment because they're supposed to be smoking these guys.
0: Canada would flounder on the homestand, going one, two, and one in the great white north. To take the series, the team would have to win at least three games in the heart of the Soviet Union they gutted out two wins in Moscow. And then came their big break. Or rather, a big break.
2: But the tale over the years has been that Harry Sinden, coach of uh, Team Canada, says to Clark with a wink in his voice, why don't you give that guy a tap on the ankle?
3: Soviet moves to the attack at better ice. Parlamov passes back. Here's a roller in front, a shot. Knocked down by Bergman, who fell in front of it. And there's going to be a penalty, I believe, on this one. Here's a mix-up. The-
0: you didn't hear it, and the announcer doesn't even notice it, only catching the scuffle afterwards. But Bobby Clark skated behind a streaking Harlamov, swung his stick with two hands, and broke the Russian's ankle. But was it on purpose?
2: You might almost think it was like a goon kind of thing, but people forget Bobby Clark had just gotten votes for the Hart Trophy. He's going to get the Hart Trophy as the MVP the next year. He's going to win two other Hart Trophies. Clark later said that there was lots of stick play going on and it was kind of a tit for tat type of deal and broken ankles happened, but Slowing Harlem off down, yeah, that was integral. Yeah, if they had had Harlem off healthy the entire time, I mean, they only won basically by a goal that came with less than a minute left in the deciding game, so that could have tilted it the other way.
3: Y.A. has it on that wing. Here's a shot! Henderson made a wild stab for fail. Here's another shot right by the sword! Henderson!
0: Canada did end up winning on a garbage goal with 34 seconds left in Game 8. But the real winner was hockey. The Western ice hockey audience now had a villain, and the USSR now had confidence that would lead them to become the hockey machine that would terrorize international play. One fan in particular would help lift the NHL to new heights just a few years later.
2: It helped usher in what I think is the apex of the NHL. I think you'd have Wayne Gretzky sitting there, in front of his TV, putting a piece of white paper up against it and using a pen to trace the puck and where it was going. And you can see the creativity when you watch these games. That It's almost Mozart-esque, really, in terms of the anticipation. It's almost like when you listen to something like by Mozart, you can kind of guess, he's done this note, he's done this note, ah, he's going to go to that note and resolve that chord. And you see that kind of so-called resolving of the cord when you watch the Soviets bob and weave and do double-drop passes. And at the same time, they have this incredible crispness and intensity to their play. And I think the NHL adopted some of that, and because it meant so much to Wayne Gretzky. You know, his friends would joke around and call him like Wayneoff, like he wanted to be the Soviet player. He thought the game much more like a Soviet would have than he would have anyone in the NHL at the time. And then, of course, Gretzky's influence in the 1980s was just it was massive. It changed the way the game was played.
0: The NHL's newfound popularity meant that there was a young audience for the game, but perhaps not an appreciation. Watching grown men with sticks chase a hunk of rubber on an ice rink was enough to bring people in, but someone needed to teach the nascent hockey fan base the intricacies of the game. Someone like this guy.
3: I'm Ronnie Schell. I'm a noted comedian, bon vivant, man about town. Not really, but I used to be.
0: But thousands of hockey fans know him better as someone else.
3: Hockey Night in Canada presents me, Peter Puck, your irrepressible into of the ice and exciting NHL hockey.
0: Peter Puck was the brainchild of NBC exec Donald Carswell, who wanted to popularize the game with children in the 70s. NBC had bought the rights to broadcast NHL games in the United States and wanted to make sure their audience understood the game they were watching.
3: I did a lot of voiceovers, Smurfs and Shirt Tales and uh, Hanna-Barbera, a lot of tel- uh, animated stuff. One of the guys, he said, NBC is starting to do weekly NHL games. And we would like to acquaint the, the, those people that don't know anything about ice hockey, teach them. But we want to do it in a comedic way. And so we've invented uh, this little character called Peter Puck. Now we come to icing the puck. <laughs> That sneaky little trick is sometimes perpetrated on yours truly when a defensive player finds the going hot in his zone and decides to cool things off by shooting me all the way. Yikes! Back down the rink and across the opponent's goal line.
0: Whoa! Peter Puck certainly was comedic, tumbling around the ice as giant animated bricks of hockey players swatted him around the rink. But he was also informative. Kids learned about icing, hockey gloves, referees, and wristers through a fun cartoon. Which proved effective in educating the young hockey fan base. Just ask someone who knew nothing about hockey.
3: When I grew up, it was there was no, there was hardly any ice hockey, and of course that was before. I'm old. This was before television moved in, and uh, people hardly listened to uh, ice hockey. So I didn't know a thing about it when the guy called me. I learned it all by reading the script. I learned right alongside of.
0: Other sports have tried to recreate the magic of Peter Puck. Fox Baseball tried to introduce Scooter, the anthropomorphic baseball, from 2004 to 2006. And NASCAR plays Digger the Gopher episodes on their Jumbotrons. But neither of these two mascots captured the imagination of children quite like Peter Puck. After the character was retired in 1980, the Pokček Professor was revived again in 2007 a computer-animated version of Peter, voiced by the monkeys Mickey Dolans, began airing on the CBC, with a focus on teaching about players instead of fundamentals.
3: Hi, everyone. Peter Puck here. Check this out. Nobody enjoys scoring more than Washington Capitals' Alexander Ovechkin.
0: If you want to find Peter, he has a retro clothing line with the NHL. His episodes have been collected into a DVD box set, and the Toronto Maple Leafs still play the original cartoon between periods on the Jumbotron with the outdated rules and references removed, of course. But if you really want to find Peter, you just have to find the generation of kids who know the difference between the blue line and the goal line because of his tutelage.
3: The scripts were light, informative, and hockey was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Where You know, baseball and football and basketball were already entrenched. And uh, as as Peter Puck grew, I think hockey fans grew. And they took up uh, the lessons that I gave them I don't know if it improved the ratings but I know there was a lot of people that were uninformed about ice hockey and uh, after uh, a season or two of Peter puck they definitely you know even by osmosis they they learned a lot about hockey
0: it's been over 40 years but Peter puck is still teaching kids hockey and hanging tough it may be rough and tough on a puck but love that hockey
3: game.
0: Even without Peter Puck, hockey has continued to grow throughout the world, with the NHL as its shining pinnacle. Countries like Finland and Sweden were lifted in international play by athletes who ended up going in the first round of the NHL draft. There's still a bias toward northern countries, however. I mean, it's easier to keep ice where it's cold. But sure enough, countries south of the equator are beginning to join the fray.
4: We are promoting ice hockey. We don't have the indoor rinks over here. We play ice hockey in uh, the hills which is uh, on the ponds when the water freezes.
0: That's Harjinder Singh, General Secretary of the Ice Hockey Association of India. We don't have
4: boards. We mark out the boundaries with the small planks of wood, cricket pads to avoid getting hurt on the shin. And uh, that's how we play ice hockey in India.
0: Ice hockey has actually been in India since the country was under British rule, and stayed alive in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. Local villages played with sticks and stones when ponds froze over in the winter, and to an extent, it's still that way today. There are no indoor rinks in India, so they can only play for about six to eight weeks in the winter. But each season, they get better.
4: championship was in 2009 when we played uh, in the challenge cup of asia at abu dhabi since then we have been growing every year and last year we we had the best defensemen. so gradually we are improving but uh, if we have been able to I and mean, if we get to play all through the year we get an indoor rink then obviously it will help india
0: one of the indian team's most valuable teachers has been NHL players. The team follows the league, picking favorite players like Leafs rookie Austin Matthews by watching games and highlights on YouTube. But before the internet, they got their fix from a more traditional source.
4: We have this uh, channel which was launched in 1996 that was uh, ESPN. So ESPN used to show NBA and NHL when it was launched in India because they didn't have the popular sports which was played in India at that point They didn't have that raw stock. Now most of the players watch it over uh, YouTube. We obviously watch these videos. We play and pause and explain the various positions and how the drills are happening and other stuff.
0: Eventually, some of the Indian national team players want to join their NHL favorites. Last season, the team traveled to Canada and played against the ECHL team, the Brampton Beast. The team shuffled players after the Beast took a 5-0 first period lead, but there's still a belief that the first Indian-born NHL player isn't too far off. They already have some players of Indian descent to look up to.
4: We already have, I think, three players in NHL of uh, Indian origin. I think there is one Jujar who has been part of Oilers. I think Edmonton Oilers.
2: Connor Murphy, lost it is, Out of front dance for Jujar Kara. His first National Hockey League goal, and the Oilers have a two nothing lead.
4: What I feel is that uh, if we try building them up from age of ten or twelve, should be able to move to migrate uh, to Canada or. USA at the age of 16 or 17, and possibly in uh, by 18 or 19 they should be playing for any of the local clubs, and then gradually moving on to NHL. Obviously, 18, will be a little early, but they should spend at least five, six years in USA.
0: It started with six teams within 300 miles of each other. Now the NHL pulls players from all corners of the globe, with more and more countries joining them every day. All it took was a hundred years of hockey. Special thanks for this week's episode goes out to Colin Fleming, Bruce Bennett, Harjinder Singh and the Ice Hockey Association of India, the NHL, and Ronnie Shell, who's still performing stand-up. If you want to see him, go to www.ronnieshell.com or www.facebook.com. Slash the real Ronnie Shell. If you like the cast, head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It's the best way to tell us that you like what we're doing and to spread the word. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag SINarrative. I'm at Harry Swardout on Twitter. And as always, for more narratives moving the world of sports, go to SI.com.